Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to Preaching to Myself by Rev. Christy Mannion. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to send your spirit this evening. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to respond as we open your word together. Speak as we come to you and seek good food from your word, because if you do not, your people will go home hungry. Open our hearts and our lives to your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture reading tonight is from 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I titled the message tonight, Preaching to Myself, because um, I lived in this passage a little bit this summer, and there is so much in it that I want to seep deeply into my own life. So you all get to listen in tonight as we um, open this word together. 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 16. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and they order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God has created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you followed, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That's why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. This summer, a headline came through the news outlets that caught my attention because it concerned a writer and an author whose work had touched my own life back in high school. Back then, a 20-something author named Joshua Harris had authored a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And the book gained quite a following in Christian circles, especially in places where Christian families and adolescents were concerned about dating and relationship ethics. And so at the time, for me, Harris's guidelines about a friendship-courtship model of relating to members of the opposite sex was attractive. 
It was reassuring. It provided guidance. If casual dating was unwise and this more biblical courtship model was wiser, sign me up. Surely this could spare some pain and heartbreak of the dating scene, and it offered a way to pursue holiness and purity as well. My parents weren't entirely convinced that this was absolutely necessary or wise, but they knew that I found certain brands of rule-keeping comforting, and so they allowed me to buy the book and offered to dialogue with me about it as I was reading it. And today, with the benefit of some hindsight and reflections of other people, it occurs to me that there was a little bit of danger here. There was a potential counter-gospel, a form of godliness so-called, that could miss out on its true source of godliness, the righteousness that we receive through faith in Christ. And so while it remains true that Jesus calls his people to holy lives, this particular approach to romantic relationships could set up the pursuit of purity as an idol in the place of the God it was seeking to honor. So back to this summer, a couple years ago, Harris, the writer, acknowledged that he no longer held to the teachings of his books. And fast forward to the series, to the announcements this summer, which culminated in the lamentable admission that he no longer held to his Christian faith. He, says, he said this, I've undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now, Harris said on social media. And I followed this news from a, a removed distance, but with a heavy heart nevertheless, because Harris's turning away from Christian faith came after years of apparently devoted service as a pastor in the church when a visible leader in the Christian faith turns away from the faith that they held out to others, it's troubling. It's time to ask the Spirit of Jesus to continue seeking, to continue searching. But Harris's statements also prompted me to some self-examination. Just how are Christians, and especially pastors, to keep watch over our own souls so that after we've preached to others, we ourselves are not disqualified? for the prize. Because the Spirit clearly says, Paul tells Timothy, that in later times after Jesus' ascension, that some in the church will abandon the faith. Don't be surprised, Timothy, that this is happening, Paul says. The Spirit says that this will happen. Why and how does that happen? And what is the human part that we play in that? The Greek word for abandoning the faith in 1 Timothy 4 is the root word for our English word, apostasy. It means making a clear change, a clear turn in direction or in relationship to someone or something. The idea of removing oneself from or deserting are good substitutes. How might believers turn away from the faith? Well, the passage suggests not an aimless wandering or even periods of honest doubt, which is an expected part of the journey with Christ, 
Rather, it, it seems to indicate an intentional defection. Some members of the church community will turn away to follow other kinds of teachings. False teaching is the problem that Paul writes to address in the Ephesian church where Timothy was serving. Ephesus was a leading cosmopolitan city of the Roman world, second only to Alexandria and to Rome in terms of its population. And one of the seven wonders of the world, the temple to the goddess Artemis, was there. Paul had spent two years there and found himself and his disciples in some trouble when um, their teaching about Jesus started cutting into the prophets of the silversmiths who were crafting idols to Artemis. You can read about that in Acts. So the gospel had taken root in this cosmopolitan city, and the church there needed some tending. So at the beginning of this letter to Timothy, Paul wastes no time but gets right down to business and urges his young delegate, Timothy, to attend to what is really important there in the church. 1 Timothy 1.3, Paul says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus. Command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The false teachers, Paul says, no longer enjoy the protection of an undivided heart or a good conscience. Their teachings are coming through hypocritical liars, people whose consciences have been seared. By ignoring their consciences, the false teachers have damaged them. The result is that either they are morally insensitive now or they've been branded as belonging to Satan or both. In either case, these false teachers, their good judgment has been compromised. And it so happens that an ascetic lifestyle, a lifestyle of severe discipline, one that shuns marriage and certain foods, gets elevated as a competing gospel, a wrong-headed pathway to right living. And Paul has no patience for it. It is so very dangerous because it exchanges the truth of salvation in Christ alone for practices that could seem to be aimed at purity or discipline. These are lies from the pit of hell, demonic teachings. Timothy command that these things not be taught. Instead, Timothy, ground yourself in what you know to be true. What does the faith handed down to you teach? That everything God has created is good that all foods are now clean if they're received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. Timothy, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. And so we come again to the title of this message, Preaching to Myself. Timothy was likely in his early 30s when he served at Ephesus and was still considered young for the responsibilities that he had there. And it's not hard for me to imagine, being a youngish pastor myself, that he wanted very much to be a good minister. The assurance Paul offers Timothy is part of what led me to want to study this passage. I want to be a good minister. The things I read here are messages for me, and they're messages for you, too. Acknowledging that it's God who does the work in and through us, how can I, how can the other pastors, volunteer leaders, community of faith here, 
be assured that we're serving Christ and his community well. Not perfectly, but faithfully. Paul's next instructions to Timothy give just such guidance. The best defense from turning away from true faith is a good offense, active training in the faith that Timothy has received. Paul says, continue nourishing yourself in the words of faith, the good teaching that you have received and faithfully followed. Reject the myths of the godless and gullible. Instead, train yourself toward godliness. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, with promise for life now and in life to come. And so Timothy is to go into training in terms of his own faith. He's to go on a spiritual diet, feeding on the good teaching that he's inherited, starving any attention he might give to a false or competing gospel. He's to exercise in God, practice life in Jesus Christ, conform his life to the hope of the gospel. He is to strive and to labor, not in the way of the false teacher's practices, but leaning with all of his might toward the hope of the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially believers. And it seems that right there, Paul expects the strangest thing to happen. As Timothy laces up his shoes each day for this training in godliness, as he feeds himself on the truths that he has received, his starting point for life and faith is simply Jesus, the good news. No false or suspicious teachings, no misplaced self-denial, no desire for worldly gain are infecting him. No other focal points will do. He is singularly devoted to the hope of life in Christ. And this good teaching so fills and permeates his life that there is no room for counterfeits. So brothers and sisters, I'm asking myself and I'm asking you, members of the priesthood of all believers, are we eating well? Are you nice and full? Are you nourished by the beauty and the grace of God, salvation through faith in Jesus? Are we exercising our hearts and our minds and our lives to imitate our Lord, not in a way that earns his attention, but in response to him? Or are we inclined to spend our limited energy on unhelpful disagreements and build on a foundation other than Christ? These are questions for me as I look ahead and try to prioritize in my week. Paul concludes this chapter with a statement that's just as sure as the one with which he started the chapter. So although false teaching is leading some people in the church astray, through Timothy's faithful ministry, it's just as true that God will certainly bring people to salvation. Watch your life and your doctrine closely, Paul warns. Here's the command. Here's the promise. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Hear the gracious promise of God to you, Timothy. You have what you need. Timothy, you have received good teaching. Timothy, you stand in the line of the Apostle Paul on the sure foundation of the gospel of Christ. So set an example for the believers. 
Teach with your life. Keep at it, one day at a time. Command and teach these things. Because through you, Timothy, God will make the message of salvation in Jesus effective. So despite the examples of Christian leaders who have turned away, despite the personal anxieties and personal frailties that those of us who take on this calling feel and face, God is sustaining the faith of Christian people and of pastors and of many, many Christian leaders in quiet ways all over the place. We don't live or teach perfectly, but we can do it faithfully. Through you elders, some of you are here, God speaks to those in a season of challenge or change. Through you Bible study leaders, some of you are here, God speaks to the people under your care. Through you, church school teachers, God points students toward Christ. He does that. We, us, that's amazing. We get to participate of all people in building God's church. But we also rest on this sure and certain hope that God has been at work to build his church and there's no reason he's going to stop today. The closing words of 1 Timothy 3 serve as the grounding point for Timothy's true faith. It's a little bit of a statement of faith right there in the letter. Paul writes this, Beyond all question, the mystery of true, from which to, true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. The source of our godliness is not merely a true teaching, important as that is. It is a relationship with the one true human, true God, Jesus Christ. And this is one aspect of the very good news of the gospel that the saving work begins and ends with him. And so into the sacred trust and real responsibility that we enter with fear and trembling to church leaders and people in the, in the sanctuary serving, we get the whisper of the spirit of Jesus assuring us that he is always at work to speak to his people and through them to build his church. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Creator God, we are so grateful that you are building your church and that you choose people like us through whom to do that. We um, acknowledge our dependence on you and our need for you and our joy at the trust that you have placed into our lives. Strengthen us so that we may speak to others with our lives and with our words about who you are to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.